0: She say, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love my bed and my mom. I'm sorry. 50-dub, I even got it tatted on. Happy Monday to you and yours here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. We always appreciate you taking time to make us a part of your day. Andrew Callahan here flying solo. As we close the end of January, on a high note, uh, Sean recently has been sick, and he has made it a point to make a part of my day, knowing every step and heave of the way with that via text. <laughs> um, so this is a professional marriage, though. we got to be there for him within sickness and in health. So on that note, someone on my behalf, please text him back at least once and say, yeah, well, soon. Uh, but, no, seriously, I commandeered this. this. This episode for myself a couple of weeks ago, we ended last time we hung out saying we were extremely excited about the guests we were going to have. Naturally going to talk Penn State football, Penn State men's basketball, but also a variety of topics, including his career, and kind of see where the conversation um, goes from there. And I I think I might have also said, and if not, we'll do so now, you might not know him by name, but you've certainly heard his voice, because here are the following places you can find him. (laughs) Big Ten Network, calling football, men's basketball, or baseball. Uh, FS1 covering college basketball Westwood 1 covering NFL games college football and come March some NCAA tournament games and if you were like my roommate and I Madden 17 or Madden 18, for which he's done play-by-play the last two editions of the Madden NFL game. And now, lastly and certainly least, uh, the Lions 24-7 podcast. Brandon Gaughan, thanks for coming aboard. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I feel bad. Like, your partner's throwing up somewhere, and I'm I'm (laughs) filling in, but I'm happy to be here. Well, we don't have to dwell on him. Some people power through and uh, others do not, but that's that's all right. So... you know, like I said, we appreciate you having you on. Just kind of set the scene here. Brandon and I are at his hotel, uh, Courtyard Marriott. This is going to be posted in a couple of days. No one's coming for you as <laughs> they learn that. But you know, we're here, fresh off of Penn State men's basketball's sixty to forty three win over Rutgers. We don't talk a lot of hoops on the podcast, so this is going to be the shortest segment of them all. <laughs> but it'd be nice to get your opinion because again, it's so fresh in our minds. Just your unfiltered, headset head, head, off thought about Penn State men's basketball. You mean Penn State's a football school, not a basketball school? <laughs> you come oh. down with a giant ass oh, stadium. Shoot, driving in. From from the airport? I
1: couldn't tell the difference. Uh, no, I mean, first of all, today I thought they were pretty good. People yeah. people see Rutgers and they think, oh, we should win by 20 or 30. Rutgers is not good on offense, but they are good on defense. So I I thought coming off that win in Columbus, Penn State did not had what back-to-back wins in a long time. I think been, yeah, I think it had been 11 games since non-conference play. I think so. you know that for a fact because it's your job.
0: <laughs> it's exactly
1: 11. It's not just my team. It is 11. So I, I was impressed, and I... Look, I'm no hero in saying this. I think the Penn State fans who watch basketball know this, too. But I think Tony Carr is so good when he's patient shooting, doesn't settle for long threes, and also looks to get his teammates involved. And Mm -hmm. I think when he did that today, Penn State started to go on that 15-0 run into the first half, beginning of the second half. And it's
0: well-documented, the talent that's on that Penn State roster. I'm curious to see what they do down the stretch. It is. It's always a wait and see for them because, I mean, you're an outsider, obviously, to the program. I came aboard my purpose. position in 2016 for New England, and you just hear about this kind of dark cloud around the program, like, oh, there goes Penn State basketball again, which you could say for a number of different franchises, but specifically for basketball, this is the first year we've had an infusion of talent that's really unprecedented. Um, So it it is a wait and see, but it's a very different wait and see. Like, there's a little bit more hope. They'll play Wednesday uh, against Michigan State, so that will be the next time we don't have to wait and see. Uh, But it is interesting, because the Big Ten's down, and of course, you get to see all the Big Ten teams out there. So I think your opinion not only is just valued from that, but just having just seen them in in all the that comes with that.
1: If they, hey, if they win at Michigan State, you can start talking NCAA tournament again. I don't know that that's going to happen, but, about that? but if you got that Ohio State win on the road and a win at Michigan State, eh, then all of a sudden that loss at home to Ryder doesn't look so bad. Yes, very <laughs> true. Were you uh, were you here for that? I, can't I was that not was here so for that okay. one. I missed that one. I think the guy I did the game with tonight, Sean Morris, was here for that one, but okay. I remember seeing the highlights of that and that shot. Ew. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not, no. so, not so good. Not a good night. Um, so we, we just ran down what you've been up to now. We'll get into what you've done previous to this because you are 34? 34. Just turned 34. 34. Okay, so this is huge for, from a broadcasting perspective. I mean, I look at your resume and I feel like this is you've absorbed two resumes from other people and <laughs> made, it, made it into your own. Yeah. So for all the things you're doing just now, not what you've done, but what's the best part professionally be about being Brandon Gone? Well, the... F- f-
1: that I feel spoiled about is just that I like to quote-unquote go to work. I mean, I really do. You know, the Madden video game was something that caught me off guard a couple of years ago because I was so focused on doing play-by-play for live sporting events mm. and the Madden video game is play-by-play, but it's really more voice acting and acting, if you will, and it's a completely separate animal from what I do calling the live games. Right. So now I kind of feel like I have these two separate jobs. They're connected. They're both in sports. They're both in the same field, but they're different, and i like love them both so much and they I think allow me to try to tap into two different skill sets. Okay. Um and and it's really kind of opened some some doors for me. I think it's helped me get some of more of the NFL on Westwood One work um and some other doors have opened because of that Madden video game. So I don't know that I can say that one particular area of what I do is great. I just love being able to travel to all these different places. I love college sports and I love pro sports just like the next person. Um, So just to travel to all these different venues and be able to, to talk sports on TV or on
0: radio or on that video game yeah. just
1: makes me feel very, very lucky. Yeah.
0: What I love most is that, of course, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are going to call the Super Bowl in about mm-hmm. a week. And you can say, listen, I've done that a million times over Because <laughs> I you know, know you've done it in my apartment. Little <laughs> <different>. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> no, I know you've done that. Neighborhoods across yeah, America and yeah. living rooms and everything like that. And you go, listen, I've called the next five Super Bowls probably <laughs> along with Charles Davis. Uh, um, but yeah, enjoy your work across all those different places. And, you know, I can of course, we have a Penn State audience, so that lends itself to you know, more Penn State questions. Yep, and I think yep. if we ask people, what's the best part about Brandon's job, their answer would be, well, production meetings with James Franklin. <laughs> and then we'll get a little bit more into what your job encompasses because I think also, you know at least if I've learned since being in sports journalism, there's not a whole lot that people know behind the scenes. They know yeah. you go to the games. They know you write or broadcast them during and then after. But what else goes into it? So yeah. I'd like to talk about that. But specifically, can you take us through the first production meeting you had with James? Is the day before the game. It's kind of a relaxed day atmosphere. First time you beat him, what's that like? Yeah, well, it's interesting. The first time I met him was
1: last year before your Minnesota game, and you guys were two and two, and the articles in town were saying, is James Franklin going to make it through the end of the season?
0: Yes, so he was in a good (laughs) mood.
1: (laughs) And then you you beat Minnesota barely in overtime. I think it was 23-20, and then you go on and basically win the rest of your games. Everyone knows the story from there. Um, So before that first production meeting, well, first off, I'll, I'll take you through how a typical a weekend works when you call a TV game on television. It's different for radio because you don't have meetings with the coaches. Right. But So if I've got a game Saturday here, I will come in Thursday night because the meetings are Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Now during the week you will have a teleconference with the visiting coaches. So let's say it was Minnesota that week. We spoke on either Tuesday or Wednesday with the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the defensive coordinator. You get about 30 minutes with each. It's you, the analyst, wow. the sideline reporter, the producer and director. So you got five people on the phone on your end, and then you've got the coach on the other, and you get each coach individually. And and you're just obviously, they take you through the two deep, they tell you the injuries, they might tell you about a guy hey, guess what, Barkley can't play this weekend, but don't, please don't say anything until kick.
0: Yeah, and that's the you part know? that gets me too, because you know I only know about the Friday, the conference calls, that's right. your information for me, but I look at that production meeting you get a better look at these coaches than anyone else does, and that's part of TV, because not only do they have more information so they can actually disclose it. They might not know a Tuesday game time decision. Game's in 12, 20 hours. They know by then. They're also in a more relaxed setting. Like All the practices are over. They're not stressing over anything. And even just structurally, you're sitting around at a table, right? Like There's no podium that kind of separates the high from the low and all the media sitting down below where they're projecting to you. It's it's a one-on-one conversation. Yep.
1: And it's great. I mean, uh, Coach Pry, Coach Moorhead, obviously the staff's going to be a little bit different next season, and Coach Franklin all very much have that feel. When they sit down with us in those meetings, on Friday morning, it just feels like they're just your friend, and you're, their sleeves are rolled up, or they walk in their track suit, yeah. and you're just in a button-up, and it's nice to have that time where you're not with a microphone, and it's not so professional, because you do. You see them as people, and I think you also build up a level to trust, so that when you are on the air asking them interview questions post-game, I think there's more of a rapport, right. and to be honest, people sometimes say, what's the point of in basketball going to shoot around, or what's the point of those Friday production meetings? Sometimes you don't even get a whole lot out of it, other than just building the establishment, the relationship, as a rapport. Right, and and I, I think that I think it's great. I love coming to Penn State though because they feed you. You know, <laughs> I, was say, I Peter, saw that Chris tweet. Chris Pearson. Yeah. yeah, you're not very like, active they, on Twitter, they, but there was, they catered
0: us. Thank you very much. They Penn catered, State <laughs> They catered
1: the food. They brought it in. It was fantastic. They do that all the time. And uh, but no, I mean I I really like and look, my interaction with them is limited. Right. I, sure. I've called what four or five Penn State games, and I've only been around him in those production meetings. But my interaction with James Franklin has been nothing but positive. I used to love sitting down with Joe Moorhead. I'm kind of sad that he's You're not, not the be there one. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because you know, people talked about what a genius he was. But in those meetings, you could see it. As his, you could kind of see his wheels churning. It was kind of like Rain Man when you would ask him a question.
0: All right. What's an example yeah. of that, though?
1: So after the Iowa game, I remember asking him, which was such an amazing game. I remember watching the end of that after the game that I had that day. Right. But I, I remember asking him, Coach, take us through that, that final series and what was going on, I mean, he went back and diagnosed everything. He knew every intricacy of every single play. He knew every moment of that game like it was the back of his hand, and he's talking so fast and in football terminology so quickly that I'm just my my wheels are spinning. I'm just trying to keep up, and I'm writing notes. And then At some point, I realized I'm not going to keep up with him. I just put my pen down, and I listened to him talk me through the end of that Iowa game, but I just came away from that. I'll never forget that, and I looked at our analyst, uh, Glenn Mason. Coach Glenn Mason when he left the room and I said that dude's a genius. Like I don't I don't even need to know football to know that. And it sounds uncommon genius. too because again you sit down with coaches all the yeah, time during football yeah season. but he just I don't know there was something different when he broke down the end of that Iowa game. I was like holy cow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah and Coach Pride too. Now they're, they're, I'm not just saying this because it's a Penn State podcast. Like I I've really enjoyed getting to
0: know those guys a little bit. Those meetings they really peel back the curtain for you. What's another yeah. production meeting story then? Because I can only imagine how that contrast. And I don't know yeah. him personally, but you see the the conferences. Paul Christ for example. Oh dude. yeah, what is, is he very different, or another coach from what you see on the face of it? What's, yeah. a, what's a good production? You know, meeting? the big, big 10 coaches really is like what you see is what you get, and
1: I appreciate that because okay. I'm not going to name coaches or schools, but there have been meetings in the past, be it in basketball or football, whatever, baseball, whatever the case may be, where you kind of get the shtick right. Like they know they're coming in for their 30 minutes. All right, let's go through the two. Let's get it over with. But uh, right on down the line, Christ is Crist is hysterical. Really? Like, like, he's a funny dude. All right. He's a fun, he's kind of socially awkward, but in an endearing way. He's just a self-aware yeah, kind of Yeah, he's like so self-aware, okay. and he's just who he is. And I, <laughs> I, I love sitting down with him. Um, Jeff Brom at Purdue, fantastic guy. Like, yeah. fantastic He's the other one who kind of got that genius label. Yeah, you see, them yep. you see what the they're game? doing on offense. The fact that they won six, what, seven games after beating Arizona in the bowl, yeah. with and no disrespect, but they didn't have weapons on offense. Yeah. I mean, you give him some talent. That cover, it's got. Some echo to it. Like, yeah, no... yeah. you give him some speed out wide and a legit quarterback like that. That could be a really, really good football team. Um, trying to think of another production meeting story. Nothing really
0: exciting from
1: Penn State, and I want to. I want to try okay. to keep it Penn State. No, we're
0: we're gonna branch out. But like, um, you know, if, there,
1: if there's nothing that comes to mind, then... um, yeah, nothing right now. Nothing right now coming to mind. You know what's interesting though is seeing the coach's son. So like Coach Kirk Ferentz's son when you go oh, to Brian. Iowa, Brian, yeah. um, and, and you. See see, it's like you see this little mini-me come in the room because you meet with Ferentz and then his son comes in and you you get to see some of the younger minds in the game as they get older and older. So that's kind of been fun to see too.
0: That is cool. All right. well we will stay with Penn State for this segment, but what struck you most about this past team and then from your experiences, again covering them the last two years, which is pretty much when I've been with them too, what might be ahead in 2018? Yeah, well first of all last
1: year, like I mentioned, I had them against Minnesota and I got off the air, and I thought it was awesome because the atmosphere was amazing. It was the first game that I had done here, Um, and so I thought, man, that was such a cool game because it was an exciting finish, but they were so depleted, especially at linebacker and on defense, that I thought there's no... I honestly said there's just no way that team's going to put together three or four more wins, Yeah. and so to see what they were able to do last year really impressed me with the coaching staff, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean that disrespectfully to the kids because the kids had to do
0: it too, right? No, but there's a reason you called it too deep. You probably don't have to go below that they went doubly below. Yeah, they that. were
1: doubly below that. They were on their fourth linebacker at some spots, and so I was. I saw that last year, and I said, "Wow, wait for next year because they're going to have a lot coming back." Yeah. What struck me this year, and this might seem cliche, is just how much those guys liked each other. Isn't that like, a no-no in our business? Yeah, though, the old cliche. <laughs> like the cliche. But Barkley, McSorley, those guys on offense—like you just look down there. Whether it's their cute little touchdown celebrations, where he's knocking the McSorley's knocking the ball out of the park, or whatever. Those guys just had fun. And I think that um, it was Joe Moorhead actually in a production meeting that said he told, and you may have first reported this story. There was a story about how Gesicki came up with his touchdown celebration and McSorley. But essentially, Hmm. Joe Moorhead said... At one point when he was here, guys, we got to start having fun. Like, this is football. Let's yeah, have yeah. some fun. And I think when they turned it around last year, which is now two years ago, and then and then this past year, um, I just saw these guys having fun. And the talent of Barkley speaks for himself. I thought, personally, McSorley got a little overshadowed by the
0: greatness that is Saquon Barkley. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, do you think that's fair? I mean, it, you, you, you saw it closer than me. Yeah. It, well, so much of what he did, too, is you could always fall back on those, you know, again, going back to cliches he's a gamer he wins right you you would start to describe the things that he wasn't which is six foot four you know 225 pounds of the rocket arm but here's a kid who does exactly what he needs to at a very high level the thing is in order to understand and appreciate that you had to go beyond the fact that he's six foot 200 pounds soaking wet and and is is quicker than you would want to give him credit for I mean again all the white guy cliches you would just throw a trace McSorley but when you look at the numbers I mean he should have been in my opinion not because I cover Penn State but you look at the film as I do every week you know first team all big 10 like JT Barrett does a great job, has for a long time at Ohio State. But this is a guy who's in the Heisman race at the the outskirts at the beginning of last season, will be at the forefront, I think, this year, Um, and is a kid who, you know, there's a reason why you can say he just wins. It's because he does everything else needed to do that, which few players can say that they do. So that's what I'm excited to see is this next year, what's it like for him?
1: And I I think, and I hope that I'm right, I think he's going to excel. And I love, he just has, he has this confidence about him, but without arrogance. And I think a lot of times, especially nowadays, you get these kids, especially with social media, that, that kind of have this arrogance about them in the college game. I don't get that from him. I just get that he's having fun, he's a confident kid, and he's a good kid. Yeah. And so I really enjoy watching him, and I thought that some of his spectacular play got a little overshadowed last year. Um, and you you mentioned you, the cliche that he's a winner, but that's another thing in the production meeting, the first thing that I asked Coach Franklin about with McSorley, oh, I said, what line. do you like about him? <laughs> and, and he talks about, look, everywhere he's been, I I knew that he was a winner. That's yeah. why we recruited him at Vanderbilt, and we wanted him here. And you can't teach that. And you say that that's a cliche, but you know what? Every coach I've ever talked to says when they look at a high school player, whether it's football or basketball, whatever, they want to know what their record was and who their high school coach was, and mm-hmm. was that high school coach a good coach to them? Sure. So, uh, and, and the first coach that taught me that was Brad Stevens at Butler. Oh, he, I cannot wait he, to get to he, our Butler. Talk. He <laughs> always thought when he recruited, and this was part of the how Butler would have the sum is greater than the, you know the sum. Of all the parts, parts. or whatever, whatever yeah. you know, some greater saying. than the, thank you. Than the individual parts, yeah. <laughs> um, but he that's that's kind of what he built his identity around It Butler. He right. would recruit kids that were winners in high school, and I, I think that that can be said for a guy like McSorley, too. Look, yeah. that that carries weight, it does.
0: Yeah, and so. players gravitate towards him, yeah. which I think elevates again to dip more into that quarterback stuff, but elevates the play of the people around him. Yeah. Um, now I, you know, have a rough outline where this was going to go, but let's jump to the Butler stuff now okay. because again, we listed all the things you're doing now. Your favorite thing is basically all of it, and <laughs> you know, you, you start big break was calling basketball games at Butler, then uh-huh. you on to Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. and I think it's you know from Georgia Tech on to the Big Ten and doing men. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic because you know on the surface you're still doing the same things, right? Like you're. Right. All in games, but it's they're different teams, it's a higher platform. Do you miss at all the, the kind of being on the beat as if it were, with just a single team developing those relationships as opposed to what you're doing now which is all across the country all the time? Excellent question. Uh, you miss the chartered flights.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the travel was a little bit easier. So that's what you miss. You miss the ease of the travel, but before that you miss the people. Because you're right, you're on the beat, just like you are at Penn State. You get to kind of develop and cultivate relationships. Mm-hmm. And that at Butler or at Georgia Tech was a special thing because you see those same people every day. You know, you go out with them on the weekends, you have dinner with them, you're yeah. invested in them. You know their stories. In uh, the fact, of with the coaches, you know their children, you get to know their kids. You know the athletic director. So that is a, something that I miss now because you just kind of I travel here and then I go to Illinois and mm-hmm. then I go to Purdue and then I'm back here and you're by yourself essentially. You know, sure, you know, you see rotating analysts and producers and directors, but by and large you travel by yourself you walk to the rental car by yourself you're by yourself in the hotel room yeah. um, thankfully tonight you came to see me in the conference room at the courtyard of the Marriott so I have a <laughs> I have a friend here tonight yeah things are okay but, here yeah. <laughs> but that that that's really the main difference now the upside is that I've I've really grown to love the challenge of television mm-hmm. you know it's totally different where you on radio is play by play you're really the guy and you, you you told me you used to do broadcasting so you know what I'm saying you're painting the picture for the listener and they're completely vulnerable to whatever you're saying and you have to tell that story TV, my job is really just to be a traffic cop and the analyst does the heavy lifting and I want to make sure I'm putting the analyst in the right spots to be successful Mm -hmm. and I love that challenge and obviously TV has become a bigger behemoth than radio in Mm -hmm. the last 20 years so I, I was thankful to be able to try it and now what I love about my job is that I get to do both. I still get to do the radio and the NCAA tournament on radio, uh, but I, I get the TV challenge as well, and it's really cool to kind of toggle back and forth. Yeah,
0: and I'm glad you yeah. brought that up. You know, I, I had mentioned that to you, and, and I hated coming off as you don't want to sound like the guy who tells his therapist, like, oh, you know, I've got a degree in psychology too, <laughs> right? It's like, there's a reason that dude's no. on the couch and the other one's in the chair. But, like, it, my experience through radio, I felt like, connects because it's almost akin to, you know, if, you, if you're an intern somewhere, you mm-hmm. understand what that life would require and what it would take, and there is a loneliness to that. Like, you mentioned yeah. the travel, and whether yep. it's at the airport or the rental car, or just in your own preparation long nights in the hotel room and I I don't want to complain sitting here with two guys where people listening would go I would kill either one of you commit murder to have (laughs) your jobs because you know what that's fair but in that same vein what's something about your job where we we hear you all the time and we we see you sometimes that people would not know like all the preparation your play sheets outside of that stuff what's something either misunderstood or unknown Uh, you mean about the job yeah yeah what you do Um, yeah I would say the amount of time that goes into the preparation
1: Okay. so I'm pretty meticulous I love love the science of preparation. I like the Excel spreadsheets that I've created. I have to print them out the same way at FedEx. Okay. I have to use the same amount of tape on the back of them when I put them on the manila folder. I have to use the same blue pen for one team and red for the other. So you're like a regular so, Kinko's, like you're yeah. showing them popping up at the oh, bar yeah. happy oh, hour, yeah. just like no. Brandon's coming every, in. Every, every Big Ten town, wherever that FedEx office is, they know me. They <laughs> know right. me. So the one here off Atherton, I go in there all the time right when I get in town and print off my sheets. I would say that. Especially for the analysts, um, I think people give play-by-play people a pass because they think that there's a lot of work that goes into that, and there is. But again, it's still sports. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But the analysts, like like Sean Morris, who I worked with today, he puts in a lot of work. Those guys watch film; they know these teams like the back of their hands. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just think that they show up and the mic flips on. And, yeah, old coach. Oh, I know basketball. I'll talk X's and O's. Right. And maybe there are some guys that that's true for. But the the people that I've worked with and and you look at Stephen Bardo or Sean Morris or John Crisp and Robbie Hummel, they're watching tape and they are studying and they're writing notes for these games. It's not just a show up, turn on the microphone, and collect the checks. So I think that's a pretty big misnomer.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, Jason Gaminda, who's you know just yep. left the program, yep. linebacker, he, yep. as we've heard from, I don't know, how many people, oh, he'll be in broadcasting someday. Did you, did you ever get a chance to chat with Jason? I did not. I mean, I okay. know who he is, obviously, right. Right? Right. But, I didn't, but I never chatted with him. Kirk Herbstreit, when they came in for game day, uh-huh. and, like, admitted to this whole on man crush where it was like, do we need to kind of, while you're in town, restraining order, make yeah. or sure you're sewing. He was good-natured about it. But the point is, he was a guy that people pointed to and still do, is when he's done playing, he'll be with a headset on. Yeah. Is there anyone, Penn State or outside the Big Ten, inside the Big Ten, whatever, that you would say, okay, that guy is going to be an analyst someday?
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Um... <laughs> you know, if he spoke
1: English, that new Purdue freshman Matt Harms might be. <laughs> really? All right. <laughs> He's got quite the personality. Um, I'm trying to think. See, you get more access to the basketball guys. Okay. Because football, you meet with a player or two, but you don't get the amount of access that you do with basketball. Because when you go to those shoot-arounds and there's only 15 guys, yeah. it's just so much more intimate. Football, you meet with the coaches and you know them really well. Sure. Uh, but uh, let me. Well, who would you meet let, with when you let, were here then for let Penn me- think on that. Uh, McSorley and Barkley, who I thought both were incredibly impressive. I know you know that from the time you spent around them. Um, Northwestern has just really, really a well-run ship. I mean, Coach Fitzgerald is great, but, man, Godwin Igwebuque, their safety, Clayton Thorson, their quarterback, um, uh, Justin Jackson, their running back, all three of those guys when I sat down with them were guys that I could see doing doing TV at some point. So mm-hmm. a lot of, of course, you know, the sports information directors are smart. You know, yeah. they they want to bring in front of you the impressive young men, and there are a lot of them in the Big Ten, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought Barkley and McSorley. Was there anybody else besides Cabinda at Penn State that you thought maybe had a future? Now you've got me curious <sighs> Yeah, because no, I look inside <laughs> the helmet so much that I want to know where right. the helmet off.
0: What? Yeah, we get to sit with them occasionally. I mean, I think if he ever wanted to go into it, McSorley certainly you know, got that understanding and, yeah. uh, and, and is well-spoken to. But, I mean, he, he will play at the next level, I think. Um that's, that's a good. I'll have to get back to you uh, at some point on that. Put you um, on the spot. <laughs> um, but, no, that's interesting, too, because I think, you know, again, Jason was always the one that you would point to. And, again, you get certain time with these players, which is not totally different for media. But, again, Friday, yeah. everyone's relaxed. They're ready yeah, to build the the game. Yeah, hair's down a little bit. Yeah, hair's down. Yep. I, yeah, perfectly put. Yeah. Very yep. good. All right. Now, uh, let's talk Madden, because that's something <laughs> that only, you know, you can talk about for the last couple of years. Um, you know, you, you the best part about when I was doing research for for this podcast and, and how you got into demand and what you've been doing since, because I don't think a lot of people know, I'll just say this at the outset, you have to do regular updates, right, mm-hmm. for the online, that is mm-hmm. current commentary during the NFL season, go to Orlando, fly there, record so that when someone's playing with the Texans, it's like, oh, hey, Deshaun Watson either just blew out his knee before that through for a million yards. Yep. Yep. But before you got the job and as you're starting to get this, you had almost like, uh, and you were at Georgia Tech at the time, correct? Uh-huh. Like a professional mistress. Like yep. you were going to Orlando for these secret trips. <laughs> You couldn't tell anyone about it. You're having overnights. <laughs> That's like funny. you just you That's can't funny. you couldn't tell anyone though, am I yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this was for months at a time. Yeah. So what what was the initial part of listen, you just learned you got to you were going to be a voice of Madness. Yeah. How did that compare to when you were the voice of Butler and then learned you were the voice of Georgia
1: Tech? Yeah, I mean I would say there's only a few moments in life professionally that you will always remember where you were, what you were wearing, what it smelled like, what the day was. Um, and the the respective calls that I've gotten for each of my jobs are those moments. I'll never forget I was on my grandmother's couch 4.30 in the afternoon central time when I got the call that I was going to be doing the Butler games. I was driving in a Jeep Grand Cherokee, turning left on Fuquay when I got the call that I was going to get the Georgia Tech job, and I'll never forget I was walking in to play pickup hoops in Atlanta when I got the call telling me that I was going to be doing the Madden video game. Cr- did you still and, play? Yeah, I did. I did. I, I wanted and. Played. Yeah. How'd you play? Were a a you too excited or Just what? Just my, my typical game: two assists, nineteen turnovers. Yeah, <laughs> that's my that's my normal stat line. Very good. Well, you're, <laughs> at, you're a little worse than me: three <laughs> and nineteen over here. Yeah. So, um, but you know, the, the Madden thing came about so randomly that one of the producers had randomly heard some of my work. Thankfully, he happened to remember my name, liked my call. And they were getting away from doing Jim Nance and Phil Sims commentary and they wanted to open it up for a search. A lot and, of people are getting away from Phil Sims right now in life as well. <laughs> well and, and for some reason that, that guy, Christian McLeod, remembered my name and they reached out to me via LinkedIn. And the first message huh. first message went to my spam. I didn't even see it. Had they not sent me a second LinkedIn message, would have never been able to audition. Wow. I just happened to see the second LinkedIn message and I thought it was I thought it was junk because why would someone from EA Sports reach out to me, A. Mm-hmm. B, why would they do it on LinkedIn? It's a big company. Wouldn't they have a way to get a hold of somebody, right? right? But I replied, and the lady, Marcy Galea, who's a talent director out in California, said, hey, we, we're going to have an audition. We need you to sign a non-disclosure agreement if you're interested. I was like, geez, I've never signed a non-disclosure agreement. Like, yeah, what am I signing sure, up for here why exactly? Not? <laughs> so I signed it, and I went down there and auditioned, and I thought it went well, um, but I was I was floating on a cloud, and it uh, it was like a fog to me, so I left there and I said, "Geez, I think that went well, but I don't know." I, I knew that they were bringing in other people, sure. people with bigger, much bigger resumes than mine. I knew I was a dark horse, and then, lo and behold, a couple months later, that call came in, and I, my jaw dropped, and I couldn't say yes fast enough.
0: It's yeah, has been all whirlwind sense, baller Cinderella magic, kind yeah. of carrying you through to win yeah. Madden and yeah. go on. Yeah. All right, so you you know that you're the voice at that point. Did, could you tell people like, who you, so who yeah, they're, they're,
1: okay. there you go. So okay. I'm sorry, I didn't even answer. No, questions. that's fine. That, was, good that was the strange part. Is for those first few months, I was still at Georgia Tech. And so I had to get approval from somebody. I wasn't going to do these secret trips without anybody knowing. So I went to my boss, Athletic Director Mike Babinski, who's now the AD at Purdue, by the way. Oh, okay. Interestingly enough, great guy. And I told him that Madden, what they had offered me, and I said, if you are not okay with this, I'm not going to do it. But he's a fantastic guy. And he said, are you kidding me? He so said, So did you yes. know going in that he was going? to say yes, or was it just, I'm I'm at your feet and whatever No, No, I mean, I was genuine in that. If he would have said no, I would not have done it. But I knew Mike well enough that I, he's such a good guy, and he's so understanding, and I had worked it out with the A to where it wouldn't interfere. I'd never missed a Georgia Tech game because of it. So I knew as long as that was the case, he was going to be okay with it. And I said, Mike, the strange thing is, I I signed a non-disclosure agreement. This was in August. They wouldn't let me release the info until May. Mm. So it was almost, in what, nine months, almost a full Year and so that was strange because I would fly down like first thing Monday morning and fly back Tuesday night and I would always go to football practice so then okay. through football season that year all of a sudden Brandon's not at Monday and Tuesday practice and people were asking Hey man what's what's been going on you've yeah.
0: been and so you're right you, you said professional mistress that's what it felt like and honestly you're talking about nine months now to a year this is going from professional mistress to secret <laughs> second family like so, that you have a child child so on the only- it.
1: I wanted to tell people about it, but I couldn't, and I wanted to honor that. So yeah, I was flying down to Orlando to record the Madden video game with nobody knowing. And then when they released it, I felt like this huge burden was off oh my, my shoulders. So where were you I, at I that knew. moment when yeah.
0: you find out? Do you remember those details? Yeah, like, well, uh, I
1: was they were they were doing the game launch out in LA and I was out there for it, so I wasn't even home. Okay. But then I got the text messages when people were finding out, like, Oh, so that's where you've been for the last <laughs> nine months. Uh, but it's interesting because now, as you said, the, like when you and I were growing up, you didn't have games connected to the internet so you couldn't do updated commentary so these weekly trips now down to Orlando just still boggle my mind that we record these 20 second lines that then this incredibly smart developer throws into the game and you can have commentary like you said about Deshaun Watson on Monday about a game that he played yesterday. Oh, I know because he's been throwing game. 500 yards
0: against me. And that's exactly <laughs> how that goes.
1: So it's crazy. Yeah, it's. it's but it's
0: been so cool. I mean, okay. it's it's yeah. It's such a fun job. All right, we'll take us quickly then through the, through the process of recording that game because I think on the outside you can only imagine. A, how many lines you might have to rehearse? How long does that take? Yeah. How do you get yourself up to do that when otherwise you were at live events? The energy's in front yeah. of you. You're just absorbing it and transferring it over the broadcast. Whereas here, as you said, it's it's almost voice acting. Yeah. How, how do you broadcast a video game? Yeah. So that's what's really different is you kind of have to
1: trick yourself into thinking that you're at a football game. When okay. you walk in there, so our sessions are usually from 10 to 3 with a little lunch break because the All studio right. can't handle more than four or five hours of commentary. So Charles and I will get in there, and let's say we're doing Super Bowl lines, and it you know it's Monday at 10 o'clock. Mm. You're in a cold, dark studio. It's like a music studio. You have a producer and engineer on one side of the glass, you and Charles on the other side, and you just have to fake it. Like, okay, here we go. This is the Super Bowl. Let's, <laughs> let's amp up and get started. They put music in your earbuds. They ask us what music we want to play. I usually let Charles pick it. Charles is good with music. Uh, What's he pick? So, oh, he's he's old school. So he goes like old school R and B, old school R and B, past that Motown. Yeah, he's got a lot of lot of good '60s, '70s, '80s, and '90s hits mixed in there. So I appreciate his style. But, yeah, I would say the biggest thing is that people sometimes maybe that play the game or when I listen to the game don't realize is it's it's totally different than how you sound broadcasting a real game. And for me, who's a perfectionist, that's kind of frustrating Yeah, because guys will be playing the game in the studio and I'll sit there and watch it and I hear myself and I'm like – oh my gosh, I would have never sounded like that there, or I would have never dragged that word out like that. Well, I
0: remember when we but, first connected again, it was before the Indiana game, which you were doing those production meetings for right. Iowa, talking with Jomo, he we was yep. this, how the drive happened, and we chatted about, you know, whatever was going on with the team again, and I told you that. I was like, listen, I just heard your voice yesterday. Like, <laughs> and you're like, oh gosh, that must have sounded terrible. And I'm like, either this is kind of just play, you know, playing humble, or it's one of those things where I felt, again, when I was in college doing this, it was like, there's there's no shot in hell. Like, no one's going yeah. to hire me, I'm yeah. not making mistakes, but like, man, I, no one likes the sound of their Voice, but I, I, I can't imagine. It, I can imagine that. Feeling. It's so
1: true. So it's not only not liking the sound of your voice, but now it's just if you listen to me call a regular game, it just sounds a lot different than the Madden video game. Okay, organic. because because what I think people don't understand is. When you're playing that game, it is little bursts of 10- to 20-second lines that are stitched together back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. Okay. So it's supposed to trick the player into sounding like it's one fluid, one-minute soundbite, right. but it's not. So when it, let's say Deshaun Watson's a quarterback. I say Deshaun Watson, third and ten. Drops to pass, looks to the right, throws, and it's caught, and he's tackled at the 27. Everywhere I paused is a different line recorded on okay. a different day, and you've got to kind of keep your voice tonality together so that when you hear it, when you're playing at home, you think, oh, he recorded that all together. Well, no, the first line was recorded in May, the second in June, the third in March, and so forth. And so that's what's frustrating for me sometimes is when I hear those little nuances that
0: don't sound right, it drives me crazy. Okay. It Art. drives me Well, let's take Deshaun Watson. If you don't mind doing that again, let's do a different scenario. We've got the Super Bowl coming up next week. Let's have Nick Foles... Fourth and goal, eight-yard line. Who's he throwing to? That's uh, yeah, up to you. I, I will leave the rest <laughs> up so this can be organic and flowing for you. If you don't mind, we, we've got you here. It's fourth and goal. There are four seconds left. Eagles are down 27-21. Fourth and goal from the eight. Nick Foles has got the ball. <laughs> you can either do it segmented or as we can do it, Nick Foles drops back. This is the final play of the season. Let's see, what do Listen I want? to how excited oh, I, I know, am.
1: I know what I want to happen. I want it to be incredibly unexpected. So It's okay. It's fourth and goal. Wait, from where? Where are we?
0: Uh, fourth and goal from the eight. floor. Is yours starting now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there's last play of the game? Yes, yeah. All right. Here we go. This is it. The Eagles down by three. The miracle boy, Nick Foles, can he pull it off? He's got it here. Three seconds left. Final play of the game. Foles under center. He'll take the snap. Drops. Looks. He has nothing. Rolls to the right. Foles is going to take off. He's inside the five. He dives. Touchdown. Nick Foles is in. And the Eagles are Super Bowl champions. (laughs)
0: It <laughs> chills, man. Did, did I did I'm I not peek, even rooting Did for the I Eagles. peek
1: out the mic?
0: Oh yeah, this thing is flashing red. We have a new mic, I might have to get another one. Oh. But that was that was fun. They're, was that, kick, that...
1: they're kicking us out of the courtyard, Mario. Oh, but there's a flag on the field. <laughs> so that was a uh yeah. That's the other thing by the way, is I kind of did that like a radio call, but that's kinda how the mad game is. They want it to be more like a radio call because, Why? because the crowd, you don't hear the crowd like you do in a normal game. Oh, uh, okay. They're trying to enhance the crowd, but it just just will the crowd quelling up to its maximum mm-hmm. will never match what it does in real life, so they need our voices to talk more. Okay. Um, so, anyways, well, for whatever that's. Worth. All right. But well, you know that actually, I cannot believe
0: I just. <laughs> <said> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you doing that. This oh is probably going to be one lead with on Twitter oh later on. Is just you hear how the Super Bowl ends from Brandon yeah. Gaudin who's calling <laughs> thousands of them. But um, going back to the, the crowd quelling again, yeah, this is you know get more more broadcasting kind of inside baseball stuff. But I but I noticed in that first game that you called, we talked about Minnesota, which really Really Turn the whole season Barkley bursts through Good 25 yards yep. Just inside zone Basic play He scores You, you announce the fact That he scores And just You sat back uh-huh. And that is it, To me as I understand it, kind of veteran Advanced move Let the moment speak for itself You, you want to match the moment And then
1: let it breathe Yeah so I've really challenged myself, especially this being my second year in TV, to do that. Um, I do remember after the Barkley play, I just I realized because everybody says those three words, "Let it breathe" with TV, and I think Vern Lundquist was one of the best that ever did that. And I used to watch a lot of his those SEC games on CBS, and I always Uncle appreciated Vern. Uncle Vern. Man, when he would he, his economy of words were amazing, and he would just sit back after the big moments and let the list or the viewer enjoy the ambiance. And right after Barkley um, got into the end zone, I just... I hit my cough button so that I couldn't say anything. and I gave it a full 45 seconds because the atmosphere was electric. And I'm trying to do that more with basketball, too. When um, Tony Carr hit that shot to send it into overtime against Minnesota, Mm -hmm. Um, and then they had a full court heave that was no good, again, I just tried to say something really quick and get out of the way. Because I think when you've got an announcer kind of screaming over those moments, that it just kind of takes away from you watching. Watching and enjoying the kids celebrating and the fans celebrating. Right. So, so you're right. I mean, I know you know this from from doing broadcasting, but you're taught in those moments on you can't do it on radio. You've got to talk, but on mm-hmm. TV, to once the big moment happens, get out as quickly as you can and let it go. If you if you uh, if anybody goes back and plays Joe Buck's call of Philadelphia and Minnesota, they will hear the same thing. Oh yeah, I thought Buck. I, look, Joe Buck, Jim Nance, and Al Michaels always get crap. Because oh, is this they're, the Saints, Saints Vikings, or Saints Vikings? Sorry, yeah, not, okay. not Eagles Vikings. Yeah. Sorry. But, no, well, there's uh, a lot yeah, of dead there. A lot little, of silence yeah, in that yeah. game. Little, little a little difference there. Um, but those top three guys, they always get crap because they're at the top of the heap and people like to get on social media and, and pick them apart. But they're all incredibly gifted, and I thought Buck's call of that final digs play was awesome, and then he just
0: laid out for a minute, and I thought it was fantastic. Okay. So, so we are probably the only two people associated with this broadcast that want to talk about good broadcasting. <laughs> and that, that's on me. I'm the host I at the table. But, of course, everyone who's listening has their own opinions, yeah. as you said, of giving crap to different broadcasters. Yeah. Now everyone has their own opinion. That's great. For you though, when you are listening, and please don't name names, you don't have to do any of that, what are some things that might get under your skin as you're listening, going like people either notice or they don't, but for whatever reason kind of bugs you, like, oh don't do that. But yeah. nonetheless you hear people who are not colleagues but in your sure. same rank. Well truth be told and I mean this
1: that I realize that I have a lot of flaws so and I know that there are a lot of things going on in their heads set when they're talking, there's always a producer telling you what's coming up. Mm-hmm. So The things that a normal fan might nitpick a broadcaster for, I have a lot of grace for because I know right. I make those mistakes and I know what they're going through. Um, I, I would say, though, just having done this in the past over-talk and overdo play play-by-play when the viewer can see it, mm-hmm. that that can kind of be a pet peeve at time. And again, something that I'm trying to perfect, that I haven't yeah. perfected sure. yet. But that would probably be it. The other thing is In addition to over-talking, I think sometimes it's okay for an analyst just to not say anything after a play. And I think there are some analysts who maybe feel compelled to break down every single play. Well, you know, sometimes if it's one pass and a miss fifteen foot jumper open on the baseline, you don't need to break it down. And I and I get why they do that, and I would probably feel compelled to do the same thing if I was in their shoes. But I appreciate when an analyst can every every few plays just, just take one off if there's nothing yeah. to analyze. And for the play by play guys, again, something that I'm trying to improve on is
0: just, is just to let that game break. Read a little more. I was going to say, for the analyst part, you know you're talking to a writer who breaks down every single <laughs> play after every very game. That <laughs> do a good job at it. I t- oh, no, I hey, man, it. I told you during the football
1: season, I remember before we talked, I used your site a ton because your film breakdown was good. Like, well, I, I wrote down a ton of notes from that, and 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 don't worry to those listening, I'm not trying to sell his work or his podcast. But like, you guys as beat writers, for us as broadcasters, makes our job easier because during the week I'm scouring through that stuff and taking what I can. And, yeah, your breakdown of the game is pretty darn good. So, well, thanks, so keep it up. <laughs> I, I will.
0: <laughs> um, now, in that sense of you know, there's a difference. Obviously, they're you know farming this kind of minutia, daily information versus trying to collect and pick out the best parts of it on your end. Uh, there's a common ground, I think, that these jobs almost want to neuter personality to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, for the for the beat writer's perspective, you've got to be objective because you're just gathering information. There's no bias there. For you, you've got to call the game and report as we do, as in left time. Mm-hmm. We talked about going from Georgia Tech to the Big Ten Network. Do you miss at all uh, of not having your opinion at all necessarily in that role? Because, again, it's kind of this neutered personality position. You've got to be Brandon Godden on air, which is different from who's sitting here in front of me, relaxed, got a sweatshirt on, and we're, we're just having a conversation. So here's what you miss. It's not so much that.
1: It's that when you're working for a school, you can kind of get more excited for that team, and big plays mean more. Whereas when you are the neutral broadcaster, you have to get equally excited for both teams. So it's not so much the opinion, because I personally view a play-by-play broadcaster's role as to be neutral regardless of whether I'm calling the game for a team or or just neutral for the Big Ten Network. I don't like to inject a ton of opinion. I think okay. it's my role to set up the analyst. They're the expert. I think people tune in to hear the analyst say, that was a good call, that was a bad call, he shouldn't take that shot. So instead of me saying, ooh, wasn't that a really bad, or, or that was a really bad shot from Tony Carr, I'll say, Sean, is that a, is that a shot that, that bothers Coach Chambers there from Tony Carr? So that I, it's. <laughs> You're leading a little I'm, bit. Yeah, bit. I'm leading, but I then he has the chance to reject it as opposed to me just trying to throw in my analysis because I'm not the analyst. I'm right. the play-by-play person. Um, so that's what's different, though, is when you have a big, exciting moment as the voice of a school like Steve Jones for Penn State. Sure. you know he, He's supposed to go over the top. And yeah. guess what? The Penn State fans love that radio call. They want to hear that All over right. the TV call because it's their guy and it's yeah. more exciting. But on, on TV, you have to remain that neutral broadcaster although people on Twitter will. Quickly remind you that you hate their team. Somehow, it's only when their team loses yes. though, that that they hate you. So, right, right. Yeah. Funny, funny how that works.
0: Yeah. Now it's just catching flack. Yeah. I was a little bit of both and just having a having a good old yeah. time. Yeah. Um. Well, let's go back to the Butler days because again, that was your first big break. You you had graduated there from what year? Oh uh, six. I graduated from Butler. Okay. Yeah. But then hopped on for the final first final four run. I was there for the so I missed
1: the first one. Oh, okay. Remember everyone remembers when they they lost to Duke on that half court heat yeah. by Gordon Hayward. I was in the stands for that. All right. And as an alum, I have long said that if that shot went in, I probably wouldn't be here today because I was storming that floor. Really? Oh, okay,
0: all right. <laughs> Getting arrested later. And I was going to be just... in a ditch or
1: something was going to
0: happen that <laughs> night. So uh,
1: then I was there for the second Final Four where the Yukon Huskies beat the Butler Bulldogs in the worst championship game in the history of men's basketball. For a couple reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But that that uh, that got my start at Butler, and I was there three years and then three years
0: at Georgia Tech. Okay. so Brad's? Stevens' story. Yep. He seems like a guy again. Like James in a very different sense, but what you see is what you get. Yes. Very, um, very much. But behind so. the scenes, what's something that no one saw and then and thus no one got? Like, he's witty, man. Yeah. He's You know, I
1: mentioned like Paul Chris. Brad Stevens is funny. Like, he can. He can break you down pretty quick. Uh, so you know, on the on the, I really got to know him those three years at Butler, and I'm thankful that he's been nice enough to me to remain a friend. And when he comes to Atlanta for a Hawks game, he there's a couple Butler players down there, and he'll always shoot us a text and say, coming in, would you like to grab dinner and go to the game? And when was the last time you saw? him? So that was last year. The last time that this, they were down there this year, but I couldn't go because I wasn't in town. Okay. But last year when the Celtics came down, I saw him twice when they came in to play the Hawks. Um, and we grabbed dinner with he and a, a former Butler player, Drew Stryker, one of the assistants there. So, um, yeah, getting to see him in that setting is is different because he, really what you see is what you get, but he he lets you see that real witty, humorous side that you might not see on yeah. camera. People say Bill Belichick is funny. And yeah, it, right. There's you no way to see that. figure yeah. that out. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Brad, I mean, obviously what he does is special with his X's and O's. He's a genius. He's just a good dude, man. Yeah. Like he's just he, you just sit down with him and he's just a guy. Like you just you feel there's no pretentiousness. He's so kind to everybody and um and you know what, you know what's great about a guy like him is a lot of the wonderful work that he does you'll never hear about cuz he'll never let you know. I guarantee he donates to a million charities, but he would never be one that goes out on Twitter, "Oh, you know, just gave a million dollars to the Ronald McDonald House or whatever." Hashtag you, you know, blessed. <laughs> hashtag blessed. You know what I mean? There's no humble bragging with him. Uh, all of his good
0: is done in silence, and and I really appreciate that. Okay, so if you had to explain then how all that happened, because that's a story that's obviously close to your heart. But if, if you're a fan of college basketball, no one is forgetting those years when no. they make it to the final and, yeah. and back-to-back seasons. Yeah, and I'm so thankful for that because
1: no one had ever heard of where I went to school before those two. <laughs> and now when I say Butler, it's like, oh, Brad Stevens yeah, basketball. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's still doing well. Yeah,
1: yeah. So now you know they're they're in the Big East and all the all the Big East. Could you different. call a Butler game like, right now? You think Would you I had one last year on you FS1. Did? yeah. Wow. I had their DePaul game, and it went to overtime. Butler won in overtime. And um, I, I think I stayed neutral through that. I, had I A tried. lot of leading questions. Like, <laughs> oh,
0: DePaul could have done a lot better there. Uh, probably not as good, right? Am I right, Sean? <laughs> um, so
1: I think that I stayed neutral. But, uh, yeah, when, when I have some time at home and Butler's on, I still I still watch them yeah. on TV and cheer for the dogs. Yes. Yeah.
0: And that's something I get, too. I mean, again, I go back to people don't understand a whole lot behind the curtain of what I do and what you do, and, and even now I'm a year and a half plus into this job. And they say, Well, why aren't you a fan? I go, Well, because this is my job. Right. Like, you know, my, my effort and my loyalty goes to the people who cut my checks, and you know, I'm gonna report and do everything that I can for the people who read, you know, and, and want to know, and I'm gonna do my best. But you know, I, I just don't have any affinity for it. Like yeah. it's just you know, if Penn State wins or loses, nothing changes for yeah. me. My my effort is the same. And that's something too where you know everyone grows up getting into sports, it's put into the framework of good guys versus bad yeah. guys. So there's still that soft spot in your heart. But I feel like, you know, if you're in the business long enough, that kind of wears off. Yeah. The people you rooted for as kids are either no longer with us or, you know, they're in different places. So yeah. it's it's a little bit different. It's something that's kind of, again, misunderstood totally. on our end. Can I ask you a question, by the way? because sure. I'm so used to asking questions.
1: I get comfortable, uncomfortable, <laughs> getting uncomfortable answering, now. <laughs> answering questions. So... I'm wondering what the people around here thought of Penn State's football season as you look back oh, and at the okay. end of the year. Was there major disappointment that there wasn't a run to the to the playoff?
0: I don't think so. I think the Fiesta Bowl was was a really nice um, cherry on top of a season that you know had it not been there, or maybe not cherry on top, I should say, um, but but a, a finish that was satisfactory. I yeah. should say, like there was hope for a playoff. They had a lot returning, but everyone knew that there's some element of their winning against Ohio State, which you know Minnesota Minnesota had first Ohio State does not happen without the Minnesota overtime win, but was a game that on paper was one that the Buckeyes outplayed them, right? And then it, would, it happened here, so that they knew that they're still a little bit below in Ohio State, talent wise, um, or certainly in Alabama, but you go 10 wins, I think it was largely expected. There's still a pang of, man, they wish they could have hung on at Michigan State, but uh-huh. you win the Fiesta Bowl, back-to-back 10-win yeah. seasons, and people here always go back to well, we were playing with 65 scholarships right. and we had this whole sanctions thing that had to get lifted late, and they look back where we came from, that's what is going to define the meaning of what we have now. What we have now in that respect is pretty good. Yeah. Now, I just
1: – I remember thinking toward the end of the season, I bet there are some Penn State fans that are saying, gosh, we we should be in that playoff. Because, yeah. you know, for a while there, and you and I talked about it midseason – I certainly saw playoff potential. You yeah, know, the, all rank, potential the ranking was there. was there. There was no doubt. Yeah, you, know, you had what most people thought was the best player in the country, and so I, you know, it was it was so weird because when people were calling for James Franklin's head, not necessarily calling for his head, but people were unsatisfied after the two and two start, yeah, maybe <laughs> a toe, and to come back this year, there's just it, it felt so much different. Like yeah. I, I was like driving around here, I thought Penn State football's back. Yes. Like, it, yeah, like it. All of those games that I what three here this year, I thought. this this is so cool! Like it is back, and the the healing process um, for for some, obviously for those that were affected, you know, that's going to last forever, unfortunately. But at and least, it's much
0: more important than we we'll have yeah, here, but totally. It, it's, and I, it's, a, it's a good, and we're no, we we know we're good. No,
1: right? yeah, yeah. And it was this feeling of you know, for the moment, this is nice for a, a town and a school that, that's been through a lot to have that success. It just felt like Penn State football was back, you
0: know? right? Yeah, no, so, there's definitely. A I was just curious what the what sure. the town thought, what the community thought. Last year. yeah you know I think you're always gonna find people who go oh they underachieve like you know because people say that in Alabama like yeah yeah <laughs> people won how many national championships in the last nine years yep um, but I think largely people are people are very happy here. Yeah. Um, now I actually have one last question for yep. Madden, which I forgot about do you play the game yourself we, we grew up playing it but yeah you,
1: uh, I grew up playing it I don't now I don't have a system um, and I'm not home much so right I, I do live in Atlanta but I I'm there one maybe two days a week so even if I was there, Um, I don't know that I would play, but not being there that often, there's just not a lot of time. Because with the weekly trip to Orlando, so during the football season, I'm in Orlando Monday, Tuesday, and I'm at, I leave Thursday afternoon for whatever game I have, and I don't get home till Sunday. Okay. So I'm in Atlanta part of Sunday and Wednesday, basically. And then during the basketball season, you do two to three games a week. So I'm just – I'm really never there. I go home tomorrow. I fly back out Monday morning to Orlando. Monday night, I go from Orlando to Champaign, Illinois. And then I go to Rutgers, so, and I'm not back for 11 days after I leave that time. So point being, I, I f- watch people play it when I'm down in the Madden studio in Orlando, but I do not have a system and I don't play it. And it is hard. I, I, I watch people play it in Orlando enough to hear deficiencies and to try to give ideas to try to help make mm-hmm. the commentary better. Um, but it does frustrate me sometimes to listen to it and say, man, I wish that just sounded more like a real-life broadcast. Now, we're trying to get there, and the goal is to get there. But but you know it's also, as you were just explaining, it's yeah, like staccato, it's, it's so, basically. Right. It's so many chopped-up lines stitched back-to-back-to-back. To back to back, but we're we're trying – you know, those guys are innovative, and, and they've, they've brought that – and this isn't because of Charles and I but they brought that commentary model a long way mm-hmm. so uh, they have ideas for the future that I'm excited about to try to continue to make it sound more real like but
0: uh, well, no we, I don't you, you play it though you yeah it. I, I do yeah. Uh, my roommate uh, might be a tad better which is a sore spot in
1: the apartment so is he the one beating you with Deshaun Watson yeah. or uh, I may
0: have been. could have been the computer we will uh, neither confirm nor deny um, do people around here know you're not an Eagles fan by the way uh, I think I think they do now <laughs> I think that's the answer but you have more Steelers kinda of, you know, yeah, I guess it's true. I guess you. that's true. You're yeah. probably it's a split state. Yeah, you know, uh, is it fifty fifty or is it more Steelers? I, I think once you get central Pennsylvania, which is really just defined as, you know, twenty five miles outside of Philadelphia, right, right. Pittsburgh, that it, it's it's mostly Steelers, yeah. but you would have plenty of people listening to this who are in Harrisburg going like I don't care about the Steelers, I'm the <laughs> fan. And I go, Okay, yeah. sorry. Like i yeah. you know lived in the State since uh October twenty fourteen, but you know, it really kinda of depends on, on where you are. Yeah. Um yeah, you know what we could do though for this week? I mean, you don't have to go to Orlando. We just cut the call that you had of Nick Foles oh, there diving to dive into the corner of the end zone. Oh, and gosh. we send it, and we give you an extra day at home.
1: <laughs> last, last week was interesting because it was the first week that I haven't been able to go down there because of my basketball schedule. So we actually had to pre-record fake lines. Projecting what would happen, so we had Eagles lines winning. We, you know, we, we, we did every scenario possible for the Super Bowl. Holy cow! And we even did quarterback run out lines that Tom Brady had a good game, Tom Brady had an average game, Tom Brady had a bad game. Same for Foles. Yeah. Um. So you know, we had some lines that say that'll never play. Obviously, right? Here's the Super Bowl. Nick Foles and Blake Bortles. Can you believe? We <laughs> are <You're it? laughs> so close to Nick Foles, Blake Bortles Super Bowl. And, you know, we were joking, just like they send the hats and the T-shirts off somewhere else. Yeah. They're going to send those never-played Madden lines somewhere
0: else. <laughs> Listening in Nicaragua on the radio. <laughs> but
1: but uh, this week on Monday, like I said, we'll be back down there to record some, some fresh commentary. So
0: Very good. That should be fun. Yeah. All yeah. right. Um, so looking a little bit farther ahead, I know you said Madden in, the, in this combination of, of basketball, Big Ten, FS1, it's a dream gig, right? Like yeah. Right now, life is really good. Yeah.
1: Don't ask me what
0: the dream job is. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not going to box you in. You know, I have plenty of people who no, will listen. I'm kidding. Man, but, but what's – you're calling the game next year, Madden 19 is going to be you. Yeah. Yep. Do we know about Madden 20? Um, <laughs> I, I think I think
1: we're safe through there. i uh, not sure, you know, what – right now it's basically a year-by-year year basis. Okay. I know that we're recording towards 19 and hopefully going to build towards 20. Um and yeah, we'll see. We'll just—I'm just trying to take it game by game, as the coaches
0: like that, to say, that's right? Full circle of the <laughs> cliches. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. um, but beyond that, what's what's next for you? What do you what do you want to do?
1: I don't know. Um, you know, for me, I, I grew up in Southern Indiana, so I grew up an Indiana fan, and I grew up a Big Ten fan. So when the opportunity to do TV came along, and it was with the Big Ten Network. That just felt like home to me. Yeah. Um, and BTN is also partnered with Fox, owned by Fox, so the ability to do some of these FS1 games and also do the Westwood One stuff to me, I, it really just feels like a good spot to be. Yeah. I, I I I'm doing everything the same this coming year: Madden, BTN, FS1, Westwood One, um, and then we'll see past that. But I, yeah, I'm just satisfied where I'm at right now. I there there was a point in my Thank <laughs> you. Early 20s after I got out of minor league baseball, which was the first job I did out of college, mm-hmm. making five hundred dollars a month in Orham, Utah, and living in the basement for a hundred dollars with a couple of BYU students oh, right. um, didn 't have to it, worry eat, about parties eating a lot the of peanut bu- <laughs> <laughs> a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um, but there was a point after that job where I hopped to the next where I was felt like I was rushing my career and oh wait, where am I going to be in two years? oh I got to get this job I have to send this resume and this tape to this person and and honestly. I would say the last three years of my life, I have started to feel at peace with appreciating kind of the the part where you're at rather than racing toward the next moment. And uh, I've never felt more at peace than I have this last year. So while it's busy and it's a lot of flights and on the road, um, I feel a real content about my professional life. You know, I have a desire to have a wife and children, and that is a part that is tough with the job. You know, with, <laughs> yeah. a, with like last year, I think I was on 189 flights. That's incredible. So, so there's not much time to try to sit down and meet people. Plus, you know, who's going to date me? And
0: I'm a bad dater. Well, you know, so. I was going to say, we, we started this what's the... The best part about being Brandon Goddard professionally personally, <laughs> personally the worst. no 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 it's going to the party and saying yeah you know your, your, your little brother's favorite video game that's me yeah, you know no. the game you watched last night like in the Big Ten that was me like no, you know that's yeah, no. but you know it is tough and I think again we I, I like to kind of we're very transparent on the podcast and there's not so much interesting about Sean or I in particular but you know whether it's part of how we put this together or when we're doing research we'd like to share all of that yeah so to have you here and to be able to explore some my stuff too I think it's fun because people just don't know and, and yeah. here we are just open about that because again, 189 flights. Like I would have guessed, maybe like low 120s, yeah. but that's that's insane. Yeah. So and I, look, I don't want to come off as complaining because I'm not because no. I, I chose
1: it. I love it. Oh yeah, yeah I got a lot yeah. of Delta miles. But if there's one tough part to that, it's having that that personal life. And and now at 34, you look around, a lot of your friends are married. So yeah. look, I'm hoping that that by chance that happens in the next few years. But you know, you asked uh, professionally, and I I don't I don't really have a dream job i uh, i feel like i'm living a dream to be able to do this right now so i'm, I'm gonna keep doing it as I, as I as they
0: come and we'll go from there all right for the the couple kids um or maybe people who used to be in your in their early 20s and trying to rush that maybe teens trying to figure out what they want to do you have 30 seconds for the best advice you could give to them if they want to broadcast what should they do yeah well first
1: i would say what i just learned the last few years is don't don't rush the climb like okay. enjoy that ride and don't Nobody should get into this business for being famous because the days of Howard Cosell and even Uncle Vern's and, like, those days are going away. There are so many games on TV, so many broadcasters, and you don't get into it for money or fame get into it because you enjoy it because there's not really much fame to be had and if you get to a high point sure there's a little bit of money but don't don't do it for that do it because you enjoy the art of broadcasting and you enjoy sports that's that's forever my message and the other thing is you know you mentioned that i don't tweet much i would just say don't get caught up in the world of social media i i just think that there's so much hate and vitriol out there on social media and and self-promotion and my viewpoint on it is that i I use social media for news, um, but I just wish people would use social media for a little more love and a, and a lot less hate. So, all right. don't get so caught up in the social media and en- enjoy the part where you're at, and don't worry about being at the top. There you yeah. go.
0: Cool, being present.
1: Talk about, talk about coming full circle with cliches, <laughs> yeah. man. Like Peace, we love and broadcast. We get them all. We yeah. get them all. Good. So.
0: All right, we'll do a couple quick ones uh, to get you on the way out of here. Okay. Uh, but we we did the Super Bowl call. The Eagles or the Patriots going to win next week? <laughs> I'm in Philadelphia. Um, oh, you're far
1: enough away. Uh, I Plus, would, you're going to be flying tomorrow. Uh, so, I, I would I would say Patriots twenty eight twenty four. Okay, another okay. close one. All right. Okay. Too
0: yeah. bad I shouldn't. Have, I should ask for that call. <laughs> that's going to happen. By the way, what a cop out answer that was! Like yeah. that's such a Vegas answer. Yeah, it's like, oh, the spread's <laughs> five and a half. Uh, Eagles cover, <laughs> but they don't win. Um, best Big Ten venue in your opinion. Ooh, can I do football and then basketball?
1: Um, Football. Now, I have not been to Ohio State, so got to do a caveat there. I have not called a game there. It would be, uh, boy, Penn State's hard to beat, man. Last year, uh, the games here were unbelievable. So uh, here's special. Michigan is incredibly special. I can't wait to get to Ohio State, but, uh, yeah, Michigan and Penn State are pretty darn good. Basketball, there's something about Assembly Hall because I grew up in Indiana, but Mackey Arena this year with how well they're doing, mm-hmm. that place gets loud. Like, if any listener for some reason is ever thinking of making a Big Ten basketball road trip, hit those two spots in a week.
0: Yeah, that's, I, uh, that's cool. Last year, Big Ten championship game, real unnecessary sidebar, but it came to mind, and this is my podcast. <laughs> uh, the Friday night before Penn State played Wisconsin, Indiana was playing against Southwestern, no one gives a crap state. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I have to go to Assembly Hall. And it was a Friday night, it's non conference. You know, Thanksgiving it was uh, like the previous week, no one's around. But it was so fun. Now, I yeah. didn't get moved up because I bought like third-deck tickets, and they couldn't fill in behind the student section, so they said, everyone, come on down. You nice. get a free upgrade, and I was like, nice. here we go. It's back in college. <laughs> you know, everyone around me smells of booze and bad decisions, but it was, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah, and I think really I, I will is. back you up on that. And you know, For my money, um, I haven't seen a game at Michigan. I have it at, at Ohio Stadium and Penn State and obviously here right down the road, um, and those to me would be tight, yeah. so I'm, yeah. I'm on board with you there. Yeah. All right, we, We've done a fake uh, call of the Super Bowl. We talked about some great moments. What is your one awfulannouncing.com moment that may not be out there yet, but you had one call that just went awry, and you were like, that, oh, God. Okay. Um,
1: I was broadcasting University of Evansville women's basketball. They were in the Missouri Valley Conference Championship against Creighton, and (laughs) – Evansville is up and there's like five minutes left, and Stephanie Bamberger comes to the free throw line to shoot two free throws. I love the details. <laughs> and she was like a really confident, savvy, older player. And I was trying to say that it was a good thing she was at and set the analyst Tom Benson up to talk about it's good for her to be at the line. In this situation, she's not gonna crack. And I just said and Stephanie Bamberger loves to have balls in her hands, late. You know, like. <laughs> and, and I just, I heard it in my head right as I said it, and me and the analyst just lost it. And like the rest of the broadcast was an absolute train wreck. The other moment I remember, and this won't sound as funny unless you were there, but I was doing Butler. It was my first year there. They were playing at Loyola, and Shelvin Mack, who's now in the NBA, yep. um, he got hit below the belt, and the family just And I'm trying to describe on radio where he took the shot. And I said, Oh, he took a shot right in the groin and they're tending to him. Here comes the athletic trainer and one of the officials is going over there and, and, and trying to console him and the officials is and I looked down and it's Steve McJunkins. <laughs> and, I like, and I and I and just my analyst Nick Gardner and I we looked at the name at the same time and all we could think is it's junk, he just took a shot in the junk. Yeah, just yeah. lost it. Like oh. just absolutely lost it. So it sounds like a superhero coming uh, yeah. out of the scene right as he's needed and then he so, takes and, a and shot. You know, no, I'm like a twelve I have twelve year old humor, but <laughs> when I said that Stephanie Bamber liked to have balls in her hands, it was it was bad. It was Five bad. minutes left, but that it was, was game bad. Over. bad, 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 bad. Um a call that I hated that's that's awful is my butler when they clinched the Elite Eight and went to the Final well, is it Four,
0: funny because the previous two uh, it, it were pretty was, good. No, it was, to, just like, a, beat yourself up. it was
1: just a bad call, and I never want to hear it again. I
0: hope it's buried somewhere. All forever. Right. so well, we'll have to ask Brad. I am sure he can remember and hear that. as yeah. he's going yeah. on as this moment cemented. <laughs> That's very cool. So, yeah, All there right. you go. Now that
1: you've embarrassed me,
0: no, this was a great note. <laughs> All right, well, last one, and I, you've you've called so many games and been a part, you know, of so many over the years, but just the the best game that you have seen, single game. In any capacity. Ooh. Ooh, man. It was not Penn State it. 60, Rutgers 43. No, no <laughs> just a couple no, of hours ago. No,
1: it wasn't that. Um, gosh. To see, I want them to be games so that people are going to remember, and they're really that's not. that's not important. It really so is not. there were there were, were two. Uh, we got to go. When one. I was at Butler, one okay. When I was at Butler, Gonzaga came in. They were ranked eighth. Butler was ranked twelfth. It was the first time that college game day had ever come to Hinkle Fieldhouse, and. Gonzaga had the ball up one with five seconds left. They inbounded the ball at midcourt, and Butler's player Roosevelt Jones stole it, went down and hit a floater from the right elbow, and it sank through the net as time expired. And for those who have never been to Hinkle Fieldhouse where Butler plays, it is is one of the coolest places to watch a game. And the crowd stormed the floor as the loudest I've ever heard a college basketball venue. And that was that was a pretty cool moment. But as far as a feeling so that's the answer, but there you know, you mentioned being part of a team versus a neutral broadcaster. Yeah. Broadcasting for a team that clinched a berth to the final four and oh, won the Elite gosh. Eight like that. I, I thought, I said, kill me right here. I am a happy man. And being with a team on the flight back and carrying the Southeast Regional Trophy back home right. and a piece of the net, that is a, that's a feeling that I will never, ever, ever, ever forget. Yeah. Well, so. that's awesome. Well, here's there
0: hoping go. there are a couple more down the road. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some exciting Penn State finishes next oh, year, Oh, yeah. you right? might be waiting another lifetime for those, but we'll see. I mean, we talked about them in the open, and like I said, we don't talk a whole lot about them on the podcast. But, yeah. Um, it's time well, to go, now it's time to, time to go to the creamery, right? Yeah. By yeah, the way, I
1: somebody tell me tonight that there's a second creamery that uh, uh, – bear something creamery right up spot. the street. On Atherton. That's not – on Atherton, yeah. Now wow. I can't think of the name of it, but – they said that the Berkey Creamery has has a competitor. Hold on, now I gotta look it up. I put it in my phone. I can't so believe it. The, the Meyer Dairy Store. Have you never heard of this? Uh, I mean I've seen it like okay. and printed I'm just but saying. Not Out there. All right. I go to the Berkey Creamery every time I'm here, but now I was told I have to try the Meyer Dairy
0: Store. Well so, you'll be back, was it Maryland, I think? Yep, be back February seventh. Cool. All so. right. Well it'll be great to see you then. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Andrew. I appreciate you having me. Thanks.